earlier um, when we were praying downstairs, Psalm 96 spoke to my heart. There it says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord... O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. What a blessing it is to come and share with you. Thank you, Pastor Christian, for giving me this time. Wow. Wow. What a blessing. So, as I share, it is my hope, my prayer, that you will hear from my heart what God has done and what a marvelous thing He has done because He is marvelous. Now let me begin by saying my mom and dad, they did all they could to provide for our family. They, they endeavored to provide us with a nice home and with the trappings of success. We lived well. Our large family also lived nearby. Our family even embraced the discipline of going to church each Sunday. But in spite of all the positive potential all around me, surroundings alone do not guarantee that children will make good choices. Although my parents had good intentions, I lost my way. The result was almost tragic, but something wonderful happened. I would like to share my story with you because in it you will also find what helped me discover God's way. If you listen, you will hear how a loving God revealed Himself and hear also how this amazing God wants you to know Him too. Let us pray. Oh God, this is your story. This is a testimony of what You do. Oh God, may You be glorified. May everyone here not hear me. Instead, may they hear Your voice. This is my prayer. I grew up with five brothers. Oh, thank you, bro. Thank you. I grew up with five brothers. We shared everything. We shared measles. We shared chicken pox. Okay? We shared the same bottle of Coke. We shared cars. We shared friends. We had a very strict father. So 
being together, close, wasn't just important. It, it was survival. Okay. <laughs> now, when I was eight years old, I was aware that my parents' marriage was deteriorating. There were horrible yelling matches. Ugly words would fly. It, they played a very wicked game. They wanted each of them to have the last word. My father embraced a playboy mentality. He enjoyed social entertainment. And with that, a drink was customary. Now, we preferred him when he drank socially because this usually helped him relax and be less cranky. Imagine six boys running around, okay? No wonder he was cranky. <laughs> my father was always yelling at one of us. My parents would argue frequently too, and it seemed that there was just... It was, it was not good. It was not healthy. They would often end up with destructive fits that, that made me want to leave the house and not come back. I practically lived at my friend's house just to get away. Now, although my father took his sons to work with him, we would go work with him on his boat or we would go work with him in the yard. He wasn't a person you wanted to be around. Everything was work. You know, and for those of us that are in the ministry, that have children, it's important that you recognize that our God loves us and He wants to embrace us and He wants us to have fun in doing His work. His work is not just slavery, although I'm willing to be a slave for Christ. He desires that we live and live wonderfully. It seemed I was always doing something wrong. I didn't think my dad liked me. As a child, I could not comprehend the heavy load that he was under trying to provide for us all. What I was wanting was his hugs, his encouragement. And instead, all I remember was his degrading me with ugly words, telling me how stupid I was because I couldn't do things right. I couldn't even spit right. <laughs> I got a lesson on that. I remember when he called me a sissy in front of others. And those memories hurt deeply. My hurt turned to bitterness, and that bitterness destroyed my relationship with my father. Now, my brothers, they were my role models. I wanted to be just like them. And growing up in the 60s, the mark of manhood was the ability to drink, to hold your drink. The media made drinking beer seem something right, normal still does. When I was about 10 years old, I was curious and I started tasting. At first it was a way to discover about their world, the world of men. I liked it. 
I liked the way it made me feel, too. My parents had very busy lives. They entertained frequently, and there was enough beer, and there was enough liquor on hand to meet my need without my consumption being noticed. And soon I found that liquor was available everywhere. My friend's father kept his liquor under a staircase where only my small friend could fit. (laughs) He didn't know what he had. So we found we could help ourselves. It was good stuff. (laughs) I became comfortable being around people who drank. Eventually, even people of low character. Before I could drive a car, I could get alcohol quickly, easily. It didn't seem wrong. It was a way of life. It was a way to be like my brothers, who were fun to be with and daring. At football games, at dances, it was a way I could fit in with other people as long as I had my bottle with me. Everyone was glad for me to join with them, even gladder when I would share. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Satan had me fooled. He had me convinced that drinking made life much better. What seemed like a great solution was really a bigger problem in disguise. I digressed from using alcohol to fit in to using alcohol to escape my problems, to ease peer pressure and my feelings of inadequacy. Drinking seemed to make my problems more bearable. What was I thinking? I was so young. Yet, at the time, I didn't know that there was another way. Eventually, as a young teenager, I was drinking way too much each day. Satan was so subtle, I didn't notice that all the while he was putting a noose around my neck. I never even thought about Satan. Yet, I can see now that he was very active, very real in my life. See, I began to worry about how much and how often I was drinking. I was nervous and uptight unless I sustained myself. The amount that I was needing was increasing. Then along came another temptation, masquerading as an angel of light. So that I could limit my alcohol, I found myself trying marijuana, which then we call grass. (laughs) I quickly entered the realm of grass, hash, opium, cocaine, mescaline, morphine. Every new substance just got stronger. And instead of being the answer, it became the next problem that demanded my attention. I was no match for the demons that I was entertaining. 
I had no idea how powerful these things were that I was involved in. Now, in the eyes of the world, I appeared to be on top. Because of the drugs, I appeared to be happy. I lived in a good neighborhood. I had a car. I had money. My parents enjoyed the trappings of success. An observer would say, I had a great life. What the observer wouldn't see was the pain, the emptiness, the bitterness, and the pressures that were inside of me. There was a girl in my neighborhood that enjoyed bourbon. I went to see her one Friday night to take her a bottle. And while we were talking, two other girls from school showed up, and I experienced infatuation big time for one of them. Do you all know what that means? Okay. <laughs> After they left, I couldn't help but express my feelings to my friend. And the next thing I knew, that special girl and I were seeing each other. How does that happen? She saw something, this, this special girl, she saw something special in me, but she quickly had a problem with my drug habit. To her, when I was stoned, I was arrogant and hard to get close to. The very crutch that I was using to make myself fit in with others was making me repulsive to her. Ah, oh, but there was something different about her. I couldn't get her out of my mind. And although she was young, she had learned a different way to deal with life. She had learned to pray. I found out later she was praying for me. And I am here to declare as living proof that prayer is the key to reaching the lost. The prayers of a young girl whose walk with God was just beginning were so powerful that they would soon change my life forever. You see how awesome this thing is that God has given you? This incredible value of prayer? My parents separated, and I moved with my mom to her father's house. I had a lot of unsupervised time. I could act as if I were going to see one parent that never arrived there. I would help my mother by driving my younger brother to his sports or music lessons. This would give me time away, alone, to indulge myself into my drug habit. I signed up for night classes, but rarely showed up for them. And no one ever knew. As time passed, I began to lose touch with reality. I was very much aware that if I was not constantly high, then I was in a terrible state of anxiety to the point of despair. I was frantic to stay high as much as possible. Unless I was high, life just seemed too 
hard to cope with. And the realization that I could not manage without drugs began to wear on me. Satan had me tricked. And at this point, he had me convinced that I could not function without drugs. I woke up one day. The truck I was in was on the side of the road. I didn't know who I was. I remember pulling out my driver's license and looking at the picture and wondering what that was and looking in the rearview mirror and seeing my face and recognizing that that was the picture. That's how lost I was. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan was destroying me through drugs. While I was a junior in high school, I was active in a business class that allowed me to leave school early and go to work. Sometimes instead of going to work, I would deal drugs, and with the money I earned, I could buy stuff, more drugs, concert tickets, music, motorcycles. Each of these things fueled my dependency. Now, the teacher of that business class thought I would do well in a statewide sales competition. This was going to be held in a hotel down in a lower part of, of my state. He asked me to represent our school in such a genuine way that I, I couldn't refuse him. He, he said I'd be traveling with a group from my school and with kids from other schools, and I was okay with that. When I went on the trip, though, concern kind of overwhelmed me. How was I going to indulge in my drug habit without being obvious? It didn't occur to me that I'd be sharing a room with three other guys. So to mask my habit, I planned to leave the hotel and find someone who would buy what I wanted from a liquor store. Now, I confided my intention to some of my friends, and, and before I knew it, I had a wad of cash in my hand. And with that much cash, I was able to pay a nice fee and get a lot of booze. Several pints. Unfortunately, my friend Robin got very drunk on the gin that I bought for her. And that night, Robin fell down a flight of concrete stairs. Some of her teeth were broken. Her face was disfigured from the fall, and there was blood everywhere. The chaperones had a real big problem. Imagine taking a bunch of teenagers and, and then having someone do this. That would be tough. I learned of this just before I heard my name being called over the hotel loudspeaker. Hoping that I wouldn't get caught with the drugs, I took full responsibility for everything having to do with the alcohol as a distraction. And it worked. They were shocked when they're like, where did this come from? And I pulled out five pints and said, look, I, I have it. I gave it to her here. Years. I've got more. Would you like this? 
they were from the Bible Belt. <laughs> anyway. So, it worked. They, they just assumed that was it. They didn't look any further. They were so focused on all the alcohol. They never knew about all the marijuana, all the grass I had with, with me, and opium, and hash. I had a lot of stuff. I told the chaperones about my parents' separation, about how I turned to alcohol. And when they asked for my father's name, I gave them my name. And then I gave them a phone number that I knew no one would answer. Yeah, that was before caller ID. Uh, <clears throat> they took my liquor and they left me alone in the room with all that dope. Poor Robin. Her pretty face was now swollen, bruised, and bloodied. I regret to say that after I took some drugs, it didn't seem like a big deal. Instead of being remorseful, I was trying to cover my tracks. At my teacher's request, I drafted sincere-sounding letters of apology to all the officials. I even gave Robin some drugs to ease her pain. Even though I was in a miserable way, in the world's eyes, all still looked good. A lesson had been learned. Look at these letters. Apologies had been made. I had given gifts to make amends. But the truth was, I was learning to masquerade just like Satan. After this incident, my brother Steve finished his first year of college. Someone had to go get him and all of his stuff. Neither of my parents had the time. So I was sent to pick him up. I had an old ammunition box that I filled with my opium, hash, and some grass. and Took off for my brother's college, which was in North Carolina. Somehow I got lost on the interstate. I missed my turn and ended up in another state. Bummer. Now, because I wanted to make up for lost time, I had to speed things up a bit. Okay? So I doubled back and I'm pressing on. Had the cruise control set. Went through the radar. Clocked me at 98. I almost ran the policeman over on purpose. I figured they'd never, you know, at 98 miles an hour. I could take him out. Something made me hit the brake. He was really shook. He was a little upset. Fortunately, he didn't notice the ammunition box at my side, nor did he notice my glazed eyes. He went off telling me all this stuff and gave me a ticket for reckless driving. Ah, fine. I took the ticket and put it down, asked him for directions. Not a smart thing. 
But I finally did find North Carolina. Um, and I was back in the ammo box, and I really didn't care. Uh, and so I finally did get to my brother's school. And when we got there, we loaded all of the gear into the car, and as I was making way for us to leave, Steve asked that I wait a second. He's always asking us to wait a second. He wanted to take some time to say goodbye to some people who had made a really big difference in his life. I just wanted him to hurry up. See, my brothers and I, we had started to worry about Steve that six months before this, when he came home for Christmas. First, he took his share of our very large marijuana crop and he flushed it all down the toilet. And then another time when we were all passing the pipe around, he came in and shared with us how he had encountered the Spirit of Christ and was experiencing a personal relationship with God. He smiled as he talked about this. And, and in our stupor, we laughed and we agreed. He looked like Goofy. And heaven, as he described it, was like Disneyland. He had to be nuts. My father was shocked by the change in Steve. And I remember my father. I'd rather he was doing drugs. <laughs> Ironically, my father at this time was chairman of a drug awareness committee. <laughs> He didn't know that his sons had eight-foot-tall marijuana plants in the backyard and we were drying them in the attic. <laughs> Steve had changed. There was no doubt about it. He appeared genuinely happy. He was constantly memorizing scriptures, was fascinated by God. He would praise God for simple things. It was so silly. But have you ever had a really bad day? You see, on, on this particular bad day, two pieces of mail arrived at my father's house. Now, since I was no longer living there, and since one of the envelopes had the state seal on it, and the other was from my school, my father opened both of them. To his shock, he read the notice of my reckless driving charge with a subpoena for me to appear in court. Then he read the letter from my school describing the Richmond incident in detail and how it was resolved. My father really let me have it. He didn't hold back. It was very rough. Now, although I didn't respect my father and wouldn't accept his discipline, there was truth in his angry words. I did not have what it would take to succeed. I was an embarrassment to him, a liability to him. My addiction had rendered me helpless. And everything now seemed Hopeless.
I wanted to escape, but now death seemed the only way. I considered the drugs that I had. I planned to end my life quietly. So as I was putting things together, my brother Steve came into my room. He was totally unaware of what I was doing. Again, he spoke from his heart about the difference Christ had made in his life and talked to me about how I should give God a chance to prove himself. This seemed absurd to me. My life was a mess. Nothing I had tried, nothing I had done had amounted to anything. I needed drugs to cope. And yet drugs were complicating my life. Then I looked at Steve. He was genuinely happy. He was drug free. I was amazed at the change in him. I wondered if I could have what he had. Steve left the room. After he left, I knelt on the floor. I buried my face in the carpet and I cried a desperate prayer. God, if You are real, I need to know it. God, if You are real, please cure me of my drug addiction. I gave God one week to do it. It's the best I could do. I figured if he's God and he's real. I went out and I told my brother Steve. He went crazy. I want to tell you all something. I want you to listen, okay? We begin to experience the Holy Spirit when we hear the testimony of Jesus. There is something profound. There is something undeniable. There is something extraordinarily powerful. There I was, making arrangements. I was in the process of putting together a regimen of drugs that would assure my death. Before it was too late, my brother knocks at my door. and said from his heart that he wished I'd give Jesus a chance. A simple thought occurred to me that I had never given Jesus a try and that I should do that. I didn't realize it at the time, but now I know it was the Holy Spirit prompting me. See, don't get hung up thinking that there should be lightning, earthquakes, Smoke, fire, visions of angels. Because sometimes Almighty God speaks in a small voice in your head. You get a thought to do something and you think to yourself, what an odd thought. And then His Word starts breathing life into it. 
His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Like I said, after this prayer, I found my brother Steve. When I told him I was giving God a try, he was overjoyed. Now, I didn't tell him about my alternative plan. (laughs) Steve took me to different Bible studies and prayer groups every evening. What a service he did for me. During this time, I stopped drugs completely. Now, on the sixth day, we went to a church where the people were all worshiping God. I was really blessed today to worship with you guys because you brought it all back. (laughs) This place was alive. The songs they sang and the way they sang them were so beautiful. I did see angels. That night, I saw angels singing over them as they were singing to the God they loved. Oh my gosh. At first, I thought it was drugs. (laughs) I thought, okay, something got clogged up there and it just let loose. Started flying through my veins. But I want to tell you something. God is so much better than drugs. Heaven is so much better than drugs. This was captivating. The speaker spoke from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. He said that God was the master sculpturer And He was going to make an image of His Son out of us. When He spoke, it was as if God Himself was talking directly to me. He said, we were like uncut rock. And the first blows of God's hammer and chisel would cause major portions of your life to fall away. I thought about the drugs. I thought about the drug dealing. There may be pain at first, he said. But in time, the fine file is used to finish the details. It had been six days since my last high. This was the longest break I had ever had since I started taking drugs. I was so moved by this message that I promised God I would devote my next day to Him. No matter what, I was determined to praise God all day long. It wasn't that easy. When the alarm woke me up early the next day for work, I felt horrible. I was weak, shaken, I wondered where God was. Where was the strength that I had experienced the night before? At work, everything went wrong. And I caught myself arguing for no good reason. I was full of anger. 
I wanted to fight. I didn't like the job I was given that day, and it fueled my anxiety. Inside me, my stomach was hot, and the pain now was sharp. It was as if I was being stabbed. Then I started shaking, and I couldn't control it. On the outside, maybe I just looked really sick. But on the inside, a war was going on. Somewhere I had heard that God would not tempt you more than you are able. Well, I felt like I was a rubber band that was being stretched to the max. My brother Bill, seeing what a mess I was, arranged for someone to take me home. And he told me he had just gotten some really good dope in. He said if I came over to his place, he'd fix me up and I'd be, I'd be feeling fine. On the ride home, I closed my eyes and I tried to keep from getting sick in the truck. I remembered the commitment I made the night before and I was confronted again with that sense of hopelessness. I remembered that when I was doing drugs, I didn't get angry and I didn't want to hurt people. And when I did drugs, there were moments of euphoria. I didn't feel such pain. Why was I confused? Was God trying to tell me something? Maybe I just needed a little fix. Maybe I just needed to smoke a little grass. That wouldn't be so bad. My mind wouldn't stop. My body was in torment and I thought my head was going to explode. All during that long ride home in that work truck, I was trying to rationalize that perhaps grass was all right. That it was just the other harder drugs that I needed to quit. Maybe marijuana was God's gift. (laughs) But grass was what had gotten the whole drug thing started. I didn't know what to do. I only knew that I'd given my life to God the night before and instead of feeling great today I felt miserable and as the driver stopped at a stoplight I closed my eyes and silently prayed to God for help instantly I felt a physical touch on my head and experienced a sensation of cold water like like you, I was standing in a shower and, and cold water was being poured over my head and it came down and oozed into my stomach and everything was white. Brilliant white. Marvelously white. The peace was amazing. It was as if I had crossed a line and now I was in the presence of God. He touched me. And for some strange reason, I knew that at that moment, the answer to my struggles was right in front of me. I opened my eyes and I saw in front of me a sign in a yard. We're we're at a stoplight and there's this yard and right in front of me is this little sign. And it said simply, Keep off grass. 
Doesn't God have a sense of humor? I mean, I was a mess. He sends a sign. But I want to tell you something. That was all the proof I needed. God was real. And He was communicating to me. And in that moment, He had given me direction. And my awareness of Him and my love for Him soared. And with that love came a resolve. And I want to tell you, that resolve was stronger than my addiction. My life changed completely that day. It was the day I experienced that God was real. Only God can do that. But I want to tell you something. The story doesn't end there. See, 36 years ago, the drugs ended. The alcohol ended. But God's love has not stopped transforming me. Romans 12.2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I started, I started making A's in all of my classes. The next year, at the same convention, <laughs> He's back! <laughs> I won the salesmanship award for the entire state. And I won the student of the year award too. My teachers were so amazed at the change in me that when they asked me to tell them what had happened, I told them what God had done. They asked me to share my testimony to our high school and they made a way for me to do that. That's pretty amazing. It gets better. <laughs> See, I now have a relationship with my dad that I could have never dreamt. We embrace when we see each other. He tells me he loves me and that he is proud of me. I'm telling you, God can do anything. And I got the girl. <laughs> The same girl that started praying for me when we were 15 is now my wife of 35 years. Uh, our life together continues to be filled with God's presence and His blessings. From the day that I chose God, He, God, has never left me. He has never failed me. I want you to know this same love. I want you to know this same forgiveness. I want you to know this same power. In, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am here today to testify that my personal experience since I accepted Jesus as my Lord, my Savior, has proven this verse is true. If you believe the testimony of Jesus, you too can begin to experience God's forgiveness and enter into a relationship with God 
that will bless you for all eternity. The Apostle Peter in Acts 10.42 says, Jesus commands us to preach and testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Nothing could stop Peter from sharing this testimony. In 1 John 4, 13-15, we read, We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. The Apostle John would not stop sharing this testimony. Each of the Apostles would not stop sharing their testimony. Though they were tortured, martyred, they would not stop. Speaking of the redeemed, now this is powerful. Listen to this one. Jesus says in Revelation 12.11, listen to this, they, that's those who believe in Jesus, overcame Him, that's Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Today, you can experience the power of this testimony. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 5, 10 and 11, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made God out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. We are all faced with choosing between the world's way and God's way. In Jesus, you can find rest from your struggle to get free from sin. Listen to what God says in 1 Corinthians 12.31. I love this verse. And now I show you the most excellent way. You see, it's followed by chapter 13, the love chapter. But I want you to get that. Now I show you the most excellent way. You see, that's God's way. God is our excellency. The King. His ways are right and just and sure. I encourage you, follow God. Give your heart to God. Get close to Him and you will find yourself wanting to do things God's way. God is good. Come and receive His love. Love that touches you to the core. Love that affects the way you live. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you like I did. Receive Him by faith and put your life in His hands now. Pastor Christian, could you take... Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.